Heavenly Father, God, we just thank you so much for being able to be in your house today, God. We thank you uh, that that long-expected Savior, Jesus Christ, did come and step into earth, Father, to, uh, to become sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Father, I pray that as we continue uh, through the rest of our service today, God, that you'd be honored, that you'd be glorified, and that the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, be lifted high. For it's in that name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Well, good morning. Everybody had a good week leading up to Christmas this week? It's getting close, isn't it? We were sitting at the house this week, and, um, and uh, Leanne says, This is just ridiculous. And I said, What's ridiculous? She said, It is almost Christmas, and we have not even watched a Christmas movie yet. And so that's what we did on Thursday night. We uh, got to the house and put on you know one of those timeless classic Christmas movies uh, that everybody can relate to, just a heartwarming story called Elf. <laughs> One of the greatest Christmas movies ever told, right? You've seen Elf, Buddy the Elf. Hi, Buddy the Elf, what's your favorite color? Uh, I, I love that movie. No, uh, Christmas season's getting here, uh, it's getting close, and that time of year we take up our Lottie Moon Christmas offer, and you saw the video uh, this morning. It's the offer we take up that goes to support international missions uh, around the world. Um, you know, uh, it, it's the main way that we fund missionaries, and uh, we've set a church-wide goal of $10,000 this year for our Lottie Moon Christmas offering. And so we have our uh, Lottie Moon tree, and uh, this morning I was setting up our Lottie Moon Christmas tree, and I'm putting all the light bulbs in to make sure they work, and I come in the back and I plug in the star, and the light bulb blew in the star. And I was like, that's awesome. You're like, why? Because that's how many times we've hit our goal over the last five years. We've done blown the light bulb in and it's been lit up so much. So that was a good thing, right? Uh, what? Yeah. There, yeah, okay. Um, and so we set a church-wide goal for $10,000. We got 26 light bulbs on the tree, uh, including the star, which brings it to roughly $365 to light up a light bulb. Somebody asked me that this week, so I didn't even, I didn't even have that added up. So we added up $365, a dollar a day to support a missionary, uh, to light up our Christmas tree. And, uh, and so we see it lit up this morning. Somebody said, Chip, have we already hit our goal? No. Not so much. So it's $365 for a light bulb. Um, you know, it's $10,000 for our main goal. If, uh, if we set um, an average attendance, let's say 200, and we run a little bit over 200 usually on Sunday mornings between kids and nursery and everything. If everybody would give $50, we would more than match our goal. Now, that doesn't mean every family. That means if you give $50 for everybody in your family, our church would meet our goal. And we'll line up the Christmas tree, and we start taking up the offering last week and we might have fell a little bit behind pace, as you can tell, right? $365 to light up a light bulb, and not quite. That's where we are. But you know what? We blew the light bulb on the star, so I think we could do it again, okay? So what we're going to do is we've taken up to date $765 for Light of Moon Christmas offering. It was the first week, and a lot of you weren't prepared. That's fine. Uh, I know that I have no doubt in my heart that uh, we are going to meet our goal because I know your hearts uh, for missions and for the Lord, and I, and I know that we're going to do that this year, and so I'm excited about it. Um, I, I do want to remind you that when we take up the offering, we're going to take up the Light of Moon Christmas offering with it, and your envelopes uh, that you see on the seats in front of you, 
Um, anything in those envelopes are going to go to the Lonnie Moon Christmas offering. And, uh, and, and if you write a check uh, and don't put it in those envelopes, but it's for the offering, please make sure that you designate that on the check. But for the counter's sake, it's much easier if everything in the envelope goes to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. So that's where we are. We got 25 more lights to light up, but um, I know we're going to do it because uh, I believe uh, that we uh, are part of a very generous church. And um, this is one of the most important offerings we take up all year. And especially when we look at missions, you know, we, this church is good to give to missions. Um, but do you know it's not just our job to give to missions, it's our job to go on missions? Have you ever thought about that? It's not just our job to say, okay, if we light up that Christmas tree at Christmas, then we've done our job as a church on mission. Well, not exactly. Yes, it is our job to give so that others can go and go full time, but it's still our job to go. And we're to go here, we're to go in our community, we're to go in our state and our country, but even this church, we're supposed to go around the world. And our Southern Baptist Convention president this year, in light of the uh, lack of support for international missions last year, has challenged every single church. So no matter where you are, what you're doing, we want to challenge every single church to take a missions trip in 2011. And since I've been pastor here at Airline, we have not taken a missions trip, and we are going to rectify that this year, okay? We might be going to Africa, or we might be going to Panama City Beach, but we're going somewhere, uh, and we're going to go on a missions trip this year. Uh, it's going to look like it's probably going to be uh, in the summer, because that's when most people uh, would be able to go. And so if you are interested in that, if you would, you know, would just when you see me, pull me aside, you say, hey, you heard you talking about the missions trip. Maybe I'd be interested to go, uh, because I think that's something that's good for us as a church, good for us as individuals, is to go on these mission trips. And, um, and mission trips are fun. Uh, have you ever talked to somebody that's been on a missions trip? Right? They, they have great stories. Right? I love the stories. They'll tell you stories about the people, how loving the people are, how generous they are. They'll tell you about the work that they did. Maybe it was doing vacation Bible school. Maybe it was building a church. Uh, but I, I've never met somebody who's been on a missions trip who has failed to mention... Um, the circumstances of that trip, right? And you've heard the stories. We had to ride a bus for 36 hours to get to that village. Or we were in a boat all day in the rain and snow. Or we had to walk uphill both ways to get to the church we were going to. And they all have these stories and say, Oh, Chip, don't get me started on the food. Oh my gosh. They ate rice. Are you kidding me? They ate rice. And they just talk about, oh, yeah. And, and I think that we, you know, think of those circumstances. And, and that's why a lot of us don't go on missions trips. It's because, you know, we're afraid to sacrifice a little bit of comfort. You know, uh, we don't want to sleep uh, on something that's not our bed. We don't want to eat something that's not our normal food. And we're afraid to sacrifice our comfort and our security. Um, and, and I think, you know, we've even gotten our minds that if we don't do those things, we've not been on a missions trip. I, I, I know a pastor, uh, many of you know him. Um, uh, Eddie Blaylock, and when he was at First Baptist Perry, uh, well, that's where Leanne went to church, and um, she was saying, yeah, our church is going on a missions trip this summer. Where are you going? The Bahamas? For real? Yeah, we're going to the Bahamas. What are you doing? Oh, we're going to do a vacation Bible school. And that's, that's a missions trip? Is there, still, is there still room to sign up? Oh, yeah, no, we go on a missions trip to the Bahamas every year. Are you kidding? Where I come from, that's not a missions trip. That's a vacation, Right? Let's go to the Bahamas and play with kids and then go to the beach, that, you know. Uh, but, you know, that is the missions trip. But in our mind, we think, you know, we've got to kind of stoop ourselves down, go to some rougher circumstances to go on a missions trip. And, you know, and if that's our idea of what a missions trip is, well, then I, I got a newsflash for you. Christmas was the greatest missions trip that anybody ever took. 
right? I mean, have you ever thought about that? Christmas was a missions trip. Christmas uh, was the greatest missions trip that the world's ever thought of because Jesus Christ, the sinless Son of God, left everything that heaven had to offer to come to earth. He traded his throne for a manger, you know, and that's a very sanitized version of the manger, right? He left the streets of gold for a cave lined with animal filth. He stepped out of everything, all the glories of heaven that we can't even comprehend to come and be with us on earth. He gave up everything. So that he could become one of us. Christmas is the greatest missions trip that we could ever think of. But he did all of this for a purpose. Wouldn't you agree? You know, we talk about Christmas and we think about Christmas. I think sometimes we miss the idea that it's more to the story than a baby laying in a manger. Or there's more to the story than three wise men coming and bringing gifts. The thing that makes Christmas so awesome and so amazing is that there was a purpose behind it. If Christmas was a mission trip, then I think it's safe to say that Jesus was what? On a mission, right? And he was. And so what we want to do this week, uh, this week and next week is we want to take and look at the mission of Jesus Christ, the mission of Christmas. And this week we're going to talk about the what, and next week we're going to talk about the why. So I hope you're interested today, but if, you, if you're here today, please come back next week uh, so you don't miss it, because if you get the what but not the why, you've missed it all. But this week we want to answer one question. The question is this, what was the mission of Christmas? What was the mission of Christmas. And it's not, you know, just a manger. It's not silent night. It's not, it's not this. What was the mission that Jesus was on when he stepped into earth? What I want to do is I want to pray for us. And we're going to look at a few scriptures today where Jesus uses his own words to tell us exactly what the mission of Christmas was. So if you would, uh, just bow with me and then we'll look to the scriptures together. Heavenly Father, God, I pray this morning that as we look at the mission of Christmas, God, Um, that you would open our eyes to exactly what it was. Father, that through the words of your Son, Jesus Christ, you would just speak to our hearts this morning. Uh, If there's somebody in here who uh, doesn't know you as Savior, who's never come to that place in their life where they've surrendered their own authority to your authority, uh, where they've never asked forgiveness of their sins, Father, I pray that you would just uh, touch their hearts this morning as we look at uh, the true meaning behind the Christmas season. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to look at two passages. Uh, first passage we're going to look at this morning is Mark chapter 10, verse 45. So if you want to go ahead and turn there, Mark chapter 10, verse 45. And uh, if once you get there, uh, you can also turn to Luke chapter 19, verse 10 as well. That's going to be our second passage. But the first one we're going to look at is Mark chapter 10, verse 45. And if you've got one of the Bibles that has red letters, right? Uh, what are the red letters in your Bible? What Jesus said, right? So what we're going to look at is the red letters this morning. What did Jesus say his mission was? What, did the, what were the very words of Jesus when he said what his mission was? Mark chapter 10, verse 45. Let's look at that together. Um, what Jesus is doing is he is talking uh, here, he's teaching, and uh, the kind of people have said, you know, His disciples said, you know, I want to be great. I want to be first. I want to be recognized. I want to be somebody important. And this is kind of how Jesus responds. Verse 45, he says, For even 
the Son of Man did not come to, what are those next two words? Be served. For even the Son of Man did not come to, what? But to, and to give his life a ransom for many. Let's read that again. For the Son of Man did not come to, but to, and to give his life a ransom for many. Now that's the very words of Jesus Christ. When he, he said, this is why I came, the first word that he uses is the word serve. Right? Man, isn't that counterintuitive? Isn't that, doesn't that go against everything that we think about God and what we know about God and the way we look at the Christmas story? But really, that's what Jesus came to do. He said, I didn't come to be served. But we look at the Christmas story and we see the wise men coming, presenting these gifts. We, at the nativity scenes, you know, we see the shepherds come and bow before him. And we see this picture of service and worship and reverence at the manger. But then Jesus says this as he grows up and he begins teaching people. He says, listen, you don't get it. I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. Now just think about that and it makes a lot of sense because when God's in heaven, it, you know, uh, we, all we do is worship Him, right? We worship Him all throughout Scripture. You see the nation of Israel worshiping God and He receives worship, He receives glory, He receives honor and, and says, you know, I didn't come, you know, I didn't come to earth to be served, you know, or to be worshipped. If I wanted to be worshipped, I could have been worshipped in heaven. You know, even when we think about the term service, you know, if we want to get real technical, the Bible says in the book of Psalms says, who can serve the Lord? You know, who, who, what can you give to him? What can you bring to him? Isaiah chapter 1 goes on about God saying, listen, you've tried to do all this for me, and you can't do anything for me because you're sinful, so you can't serve me. Jesus says, I didn't come to be served. If I wanted to be worshipped, I could be in heaven, and you can't even serve me no matter what you try and do. I didn't come to be served, but I came to serve. That's crazy. But it's not, right? Because you're all sitting here this morning, you're looking at me like, yeah, yeah, serve, serve, I got it, be served, serve, you got it. But what if you didn't have 2,000 years of church history to fall back on? What if you were born at the same time Jesus was born? And as you grew up, as Jesus grew up, and you come to him one day knowing that he's the Son of God, that he's God in the flesh, and you come to him and he tells you, listen, I didn't come for you to serve me. I came to serve you. Wouldn't that just blow your mind? And maybe if we're real honest, it blows our mind even in church today. Because today we think we have to come to the church. And what, you know, what's one of the buzzwords we use around the church? I throw it around all the time. You need to come and serve. And you do. But that wasn't what Jesus came to do. He didn't come to be served. He came to serve. And if you think of that, it's just crazy. The Son of God being born to serve sinful men. The creator of all universe coming to serve the creation. And what Jesus did in that is he just changed our total mindset about what it means to be great. You know, if you look back in Matthew in chapter um, uh, 20, uh, you see his disciples arguing and said, Jesus, when you come to your kingdom, who's going to sit on your right hand? And Jesus said, whoa, 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 back up. 
says, I didn't come to be served, I came to serve. And what he taught us was this, guys, the way up is down. If you want to be great, you need to be the least. If you want to be a ruler, you need to be the servant. Isn't that what he says here in this very passage? He says, but it is not this way among you, but whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. Verse 43 and verse 44, and whoever wishes to be first among you all shall be slave of all. Jesus changes everything this world's ever taught us about what it means to be important and says, no, the way up is down. But more importantly, he showed us the way to a person's heart is not through authority, but through service. Right? Jesus came above all else to win our hearts. And he didn't come as a ruling king. He came as a serving Savior. And I think in our minds today, we think that, you know, as parents, as husbands, as whatever, that if we just exert our authority enough, we can change somebody's heart. But I want to tell you something that Jesus knew and taught. Authority has never changed anyone's heart. Service changes people's hearts. And when we look at this community and the lost in our community, we're not to go to them and say, you need to do this. You need to get your life together. You need this. You need that. You need this. Our authority, even though we have the authority as the ambassadors of Christ in this world, our authority is not going to win their hearts. It's when we serve them that we win their hearts. Jesus says the Son of Man did not come to... Let's try that again. Jesus said the Son of Man did not come to, but to, and he said this, and to give his life a ransom for many. So he says he came to serve and to give. Right? Now we talk about service being counterintuitive. What about giving? Right? I mean, we think about Christmas, you're like, oh man, giving flows so naturally in the Christmas spirit. Giving is what Christmas is all about. Oh, not so fast. Lee Corso, not so fast, my friend, right? We say that giving is all about is what Christmas is about, but I'm going to tell you what, God showed me something in my heart here a while back. You know, I, I told the story, I think, a few Christmases ago because it just hit me out of the blue. Leanne and I were talking about, you know, who we were buying Christmas presents for, and we got to somebody, and, and we said, okay, what are we going to get them for Christmas? And we said, well, wait, I don't know if they're getting us anything for Christmas. You ever been there before? Don't look at me like I'm a bad person. You are too, right? Well, I don't know if I'm getting them something, if I need to get them something, because I don't know if they're getting me something, right? And we're not necessarily being greedy, saying I'm only going to give to you if you give to me, but we've got this whole guilt thing going on, and there's no way that we could ever give a gift without them, get, without them giving one back, or else it'll make them feel bad, Right? I mean, how many times have we used that excuse before? I don't want to give them something to make them feel bad because they don't have anything to give to me. And I think what we know and learn, if nothing else, is this. The whole idea of giving at Christmas is really messed up, right? You know, first of all, we give because we know we're getting back. That's not giving. Or we don't give because they don't have anything to give back to us. And that's not giving. Jesus said the Son of Man came to give his life a ransom for many. This is how Jesus gives. Jesus gave everything to those who had nothing to give back. Now you think about that. What if Jesus would have said, I would go and give my life for them, but 
I don't think they got me anything. Or what if Jesus said, you know, I would go and give my life for them, but since I know they can't pay me back, I know they'd feel really guilty about it, and I just don't want to put them through that. Right? Well, that wouldn't work. But Jesus said, I came to give my life a ransom for many. Hey, listen, if you don't get anything outside of the sermon, maybe this is something you can take home. He gave everything to those who had nothing to give back. He came and gave his very life for us. Knowing that despite our best efforts and our best intentions, we could never, ever give anything back to him. If you want to give at Christmas, I challenge you. Give to somebody who you know can't give back. Right? Give to somebody who you know can't give back. But Chip, I don't want them to feel guilty. You still haven't addressed that. The only reason that we feel guilty when we get but can't give is one word. Pride. Right, And I would venture to say that that guilt that we feel at Christmas when we get a gift that we don't have one to give back for, the same guilt many of you feel that brings you into church this morning because you think because Jesus gave his life for you, then you've got to spend the rest of your life giving what you can back to him. And that's the only way that you appease our guilt. And the only reason you feel that guilt is because you've never humbled yourself and understood what grace really is. You still cling to your pride and saying, there has to be something I can give. There has to be something I can do. There has to be a way that I can earn this back and make this right. But truth be told, there's nothing you could ever do to pay back the smallest amount of what Christ has given to you. We just need to learn to experience what grace is and that we can't pay it back and that we're not supposed to. He said he came to serve and to give. I want you to look at this. Matthew chapter 19. Or I'm sorry, not Matthew chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. Jesus again is speaking and if you've got a Bible with red letters, you see that this is in the red letters. And so this is what Jesus is talking about. And um, in Luke chapter 19, we see here the story of Zacchaeus, right? Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he. You remember that one? Yes, I am part of the praise team. Uh, no, <laughs> um, no, the people in the praise team laugh because they've heard worse. Uh, the story of Zacchaeus, right? You know the story of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus hears that Jesus is coming to town, so he wants to go see Jesus, right? But Zacchaeus was like me. He was short, okay? Which, just throwing this out there, short people live longer, medical fact. Just saying. Um, Zacchaeus was short, and so he couldn't see Jesus. So what does he do? Well, what does he do? Climbs a sycamore tree. Why? Just to see what I can see. Right? You know, he, he, climbing the tree. And, um, and he climbs up in the tree to see Jesus. And Jesus looks at him and says, Hey, Zacchaeus, what are you doing up there? Come on down, because I'm going to go eat dinner at your house today. Right? And when we hear the story, and we're taught it in Sunday school as kids, which, by the way, how many of you ever, were ever blessed to have flannel graph in your Sunday school class? Raise your hand. Don't be ashamed. I love flannel graph. I would get rid of every whiteboard in this church to put flannel graph in if I could. I love flannel graph. This is one of the best stories to tell with flannel graph, because Zacchaeus is like this tall. Okay, little guy. 
Um, it, when we read that story, we see it in flannel graph, kind of the moral of the story that we draw from it is, you know, that we need to do whatever we can to look for Jesus, right? Get yourself in a position to see Jesus. Zacchaeus was seeking after Jesus so hard that he, he finally found him after he climbed that tree. But that is not the moral of the story at all, Right? Matter of fact, if we would read to the end of that story, the very last verse, Jesus puts a stop to that idea real quick. For he says this in verse 10, For the Son of Man has come to, and to, that which was lost. Let's try that again. For the Son of Man has come to, and to, that which was lost. And you look at that, and that's not exactly what we're taught in the Zacchaeus story, Right? I mean, how could you? Zacchaeus is the one who came looking for Jesus. Zacchaeus is the one who climbed a tree. And Jesus just looked up and said, Oh, hey, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house. But Jesus totally turns the story on his head and says, No, I've come to seek and save that which was lost. Let me throw a couple verses out at you. Uh, Romans chapter 3 and verse 10 and 11. Yeah, you don't have to turn there. I'm not even going to turn there either for sake of time. It says, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not what? Even one. Look at verse 11. It says this, there is none who understands, there is none who seeks for God. Wait, 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 wait a minute. I thought Zacchaeus climbed a tree. There is none who seeks for God. The truth of Scripture is this, is that not a single person in all of history has sought after Jesus. We hear about seeker-sensitive churches and seekers who come to church seeking more religious understanding, seeking a closer relationship with Jesus. And that is totally unbiblical because the only seeker that you find in Scripture is Jesus when he says, I've come to seek and save that which was lost. If that's not enough, look at this. Isaiah chapter 65 verse 1 says this. I permitted, this is God speaking, I permitted myself to be sought. Woo, that's even, we could stop there and preach on that for a while, right? I permitted myself to be sought by those who did not ask for me. I permitted myself to be found by those who did not seek me. I said, here I am, here am I for a nation which did not call on my name. Woo. Did you catch that? Just said, I let you look for me. I let you find me. I let you call on my name. I have spread out my hands all day long to rebellious people who walk in the way which is not good, following their own thoughts. Listen, this is it, bottom line. As much as you think you love Jesus, as good of a person as you are, as spiritual of a person as you are, not a one of you sought Christ. He came. To seek for you. You think about that. Now that puts the manger in a whole new perspective, right? Jesus was born into the biggest game of hide and seek that there's ever been. It's kind of irreverent, but you know, it puts it in perspective. Jesus came to earth to seek us out. Because he knew that we would not and could not seek after him. Except for the Son of Man has come to what? Son of Man has come to... And to save that which was lost. 
will save. You know, that's it, isn't it? I mean, that's it. That's why Jesus came. That's what the mission was all about. Jesus came to save us from our sins. Romans 5.8 says, For while we were still sinners, God demonstrated his love for us. and Christ died for us. That's it. The mission of Jesus was to save us. That baby who was born in a manger didn't stay a baby. He grew up to ultimately give his life on the cross of Calvary. To take on the full wrath of God to save us from our sins. That's what the mission of Jesus was. We could sum it up like this. Jesus came to do what he knew we never could. As hard as we work, as much as we try, as much money as we give to Lottie Moon, as many Sunday school lessons as we learn, as many times as we sing, as many times as we pray, as many times as we read our Bible, there's nothing we could ever do to save ourselves. You and I were destined for an eternity in hell. And not a thing, not an ounce, not anything within us could pull us out of that direction. We were headed there of our own choice, of our own will, and nothing was going to stop it save the Son of God stepping into this world, born of a virgin, born under the law, laid in a manger, wrapped in a blanket, welcomed by shepherds and sung by angels, greeted by kings, to come and save us from our sins. That's what the mission of Christmas is. It's the opening act to the greatest salvation story that's ever been told. Christmas is not about carols and cookies and presents and gifts. It's about Jesus Christ becoming a Savior of mankind. Think about that, man. That's crazy. I heard a statement, and I'll share it with you. We think a lot about Christmas carols, and, I, and I've heard people say, you know, oh man, Christmas carols just you know, fill my heart with so much love. Jesus says, if music could have led us to the throne of God, Jesus would have sent a musician, or God would have sent a musician. Instead, he sent a Savior. That's what it's all about. He saved us from our sins. He took our place on the cross. He came to save us. Have you ever grasped that? The mission of Christmas? Or do you get caught up like we do year in, year out? With the hustle, the bustle, the parties, the gatherings, the gifts, the ribbons, the trees. Christmas is all about Jesus stepping into this world to do what we never could. It begs the question though, doesn't it? If Jesus went on the greatest missions trip that's ever been told, if he lived his life on mission to save us, well then shouldn't that motivate us to live our life on mission for him? Right? What Jesus did 
and all of this and the serving and the giving and the seeking and the saving was he set an example for his children who he has served, who he has given, who he has sought, who he has saved to go and do the same for others. Listen, I challenge you, be on mission this Christmas. Serve those around you. Give to those who can't give back. Seek out those who would never find their way into church. And do what you can to lead them to the Savior, the Son of God. Be on mission this Christmas. You know a survey came out, um, I guess it was around Thanksgiving, where they asked the question, to people all across America um, who did not go to church. They asked him this. says, what event opens you up the most to spiritual things and to the church? One of the answers was financial crisis. Well, we're in that, right? One of the answers was a family crisis. One of the answers was a death. One of the answers was Easter. The number one answer of what event opens you up to to spiritual things into the church more than anything else. It was Christmas. I bet you never would have thought of that, would you? 46% of unchurched Americans say that this is the time of year that they are most receptive to hear religious things. Be on mission this Christmas. You've got a wide open door. Go up, share the good news of Jesus Christ to people. Which, by the way, I'm sorry to step on your toes, saying Merry Christmas instead of Happy Holidays does not count as witnessing. It doesn't. I'm not saying you shouldn't say Merry Christmas. I say Merry Christmas. But if that's as far as we go, we haven't gone near far enough. Serve, give, seek, and lead people to the Savior this Christmas. I would like you to just think with me for one second. What's the best Christmas you've ever had? We're almost done. What's the best Christmas you've ever had? Think about it. I know mine. I know mine, man. I was a little kid. I think I was like eight or nine. Ghostbuster Playhouse. Bam. Right there set up in the living room. I even had the pack on my back and the little trap you threw out. I, charged, I told my aunt I'd charge her $5. She said, I'll pay you three. I said, you can live with them. The Buster House. What's the best Christmas you ever had? What if this Christmas could be better? If every person in this room who knew Christ as Savior, and listen, I'm not foolish enough to think everybody in this room does, but I'm just saying if everyone in this room who does would live their life with an intention these next two weeks to be on mission, to not let this Christmas be the same as every year, but to serve, to give, to seek, and to lead people to the Savior. This could be the best Christmas this church has ever experienced. What if next Sunday, instead of having a church full of cookies and presents, we had a baptistry full of people? Wouldn't that be awesome? You've got an open window these next two weeks to share the love of Christ like you never have before. And I challenge you, do it. If Jesus lived on mission for you, let's spend the next two weeks on mission for him. What's the mission of Christmas? To serve, to give, to seek, and to save. And aren't you, aren't you glad that he followed through with that mission? And in a few months, we're going to celebrate Easter. Let's pray together. We'll have a time of invitation. So our musicians come forward. If God's spoken to you this morning, maybe he's burdened your heart about how you've 
go about Christmas. Maybe he's burned your heart about how you live your life, but most importantly, I pray that he's burned your heart and opened your eyes to exactly what he did for you. Next week, we're going to talk about why. This week, I want to talk about what he did. And I pray this morning that if God has opened your eyes to what he did for you in a way that he never has before, if this morning you see yourself in your sin and you see Christ as Savior, and you know that you've never accepted that gift that he gave us on that first Christmas, I'd encourage you to do so. You can come and see me, one of these deacon Sunday school teachers, and we'll let you know exactly how you can trust Christ as Savior. Or Christian, maybe God's placed a burden on your hearts to live these next two weeks like you're on a missions trip. That you would go out and that you would be bold and that you would be intentional in everything that you do. However God's speaking to you, we're going to have a time of invitation for you to respond. I'm going to pray for you and then these altars will be open. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for this time that we have today. And we thank you for your word that speaks to us today. And I pray during this time of invitation that you would move in a special way and that you would touch our hearts. Father, if there's some here who don't know you as Savior, Father, would you open their eyes to what you've done from them. Bring them back next week so they can hear why you did it. And Father, for those who do know you as Savior, I pray that you'd let them live these next two weeks like they're on a missions trip. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. These altars are open. If God's spoken to you this morning, you come and respond to him.